John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed entry 501.1C1312, certificate number 52246. The Fresnel Lens. It's a razzle-dazzle day, a lifetime of joy in just a few hours. It's almost a palindrome. Fresnel Lens, Earth. That's the palindrome I just made. Snell Lens, Snurf. I mean, it, it does kind of hinge on Senef. Earth being a thing you might say when somebody shows you it. Maybe if a Fresnel lens fell on you, you would say, that's like the last thing a lighthouse keeper says. Fresnel lens, Earth. Earth, surf. Um, hmm, yeah, that, look at that. Lens, Snell lens would be a palindrome. It's true. If yeah. only a guy named Snell had uh, come up with a lens. You're so good at that, seeing palindromes. That's uh, not a thing I would ever see. It's really, a, you know, evolutionary biology provided that skill to our hunter-gatherer ancestors. Like hmm. if you can see, if you can see a palindrome in the wild, yeah, right. Think about how much think easier about, that makes foraging for food. Yeah, think about how many puns you could come up with sitting around the prehistoric campfire. Uh, you and I have been on a cruise ship together, but have you ever spent any other time at sea? Uh, not that much. I went to Antarctica, as you know, right. Uh, and that's a long and choppy voyage. So that was about, was about two weeks in a boat. Uh, not that much time at sea. I lived next to the sea for most of my life. Right. So I've, I don't know. Is that stolen valor? Uh, no, I mean, I think growing up in the Northwest, you have a, if you were here before it became just a tech hub, we, we were much more connected to the sea. Don't you feel like in the, in our childhoods? Yeah. You would, you could see the sea. You could hear the sound. Yeah, boats, boats played a bigger part in the. Yeah, regular people here could have little sailboats. Yeah, and you, you heard the fog horns. You heard the leg horns. You were on the ferry a lot. I mean, yep. you, I guess you could still be on the ferry a lot. Uh, but our topic today is lighthouses, and uh, there are a lot of lighthouses in the uh, in Puget Sound. Are there ever? Yeah, there are 16 different uh, lighthouses that you can, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you right here, there's an actual website, 16 Puget Sound Lighthouses, you can visit for free. (laughs) (laughs) That's good for your, that's more bang for your lighthouse buck. Yeah, there are some lighthouses that it costs big money. I'm not going to any of the expensive pay lighthouses. 
But, you know, there's that old lighthouse keeper's house on Vashon Island. That I want to marry a lighthouse keeper. You can stay there. Yeah, isn't that a December song? <laughs> uh, I think it predates the December, so I can't remember who it is. There's that lighthouse right here on in West Seattle. Uh, quaint, charming little lighthouses. I mean, all there's, there's that little one on Magnolia at the at the point of Magnolia and Discovery Park. Right. A lot of them seem like they're computerized now, right? Well, they're, they are. There's yeah. not keepers anymore. They're just beacons. And I don't even know how many of them you actually need in the fog because do all boats have GPS or radar or both? The only boats that don't have GPS or radar are little pleasure craft that don't have GPS or radar. And so. But those guys are, aren't they all piloted by dummies who wouldn't know what to do with a lighthouse if it. Yeah, they shouldn't be out, it in the, shined on them? out in the dark in the fog. Um, but most of the stuff, most of the aids to navigation um, from ye olden times, including foghorns and buoys and bells and lights. Are they all deprecated now? Well, most of the, any big ship or any any ship that you would call a ship, any boat really that um, the owner has any money or that there's an enclosed cabin, they're all navigating now via GPS and they can see their systems in place where boats can see other boats they on, could, online. They can sit in a little closet and do it. Nobody needs binoculars even. Right. It's all automated now. All the buoys and bells are for college students on stand-up paddle boards. Right. And that's... That's most that's of our traffic now. Why those things, why things like foghorns and lighthouses still exist is that there is that kind of unpredictable element. What if your system crashes? But you know, in the, in the deep fog here in the Northwest, you'll hear the boats, the big boats still sounding their horns, mm -hmm. the foghorns, but they're doing that not for each other, uh, but just for the little, the potential. What little, if there's a kayaker here? Right. Little boat. And they're saying, uh, Amscray. If you were in a kayak in the fog in the middle of the night and you heard one of those horns go off every, whatever, 30 seconds or a minute, boy, it would, I'd sure get to paddling. Why would you be on a kayak in the fog in the dark in the middle of the night? There are all kinds of weirdos. I mean, I love palindromes, but I'm not going to get in a kayak just because it's a palindrome, especially not in the middle of the night. Right, a kayak is another palindrome. A lens, See, I spotted it there. a Snell kayak lens, <laughs> if that were a thing. Earth. <laughs> Uh, but you, you know, lighthouses have a um, have a long, long history, and that's more of a tall, tall history. They're not that long. Well, it depends on whether you are looking at the world from your your Earth centric perspective, my patriarchal uh, horizontal view. Yeah, right. If you're a butterfly, they're probably they're long to well, get to the top. One of, that. of the wonders of the world was a lighthouse. One of the, so one seventh of our great cultural heritage is lighthouses. One seventh of our ancient cultural heritage, because there are seven modern wonders of the world too. Oh, as those you are know. stupid. Hoover Dam or something. Come on. But that's right. Uh, the Pharos of Alexandria, the giant, wonderful, great, beautiful lighthouse built by Ptolemy in 300 BC, was one of the ancient wonders. People came from all over. They loaded up the family truckster. And they headed down. Everybody got in a junk or a dow or a trireme. Right. <laughs> headed down to Alexandria just to see this magical thing, which was predictably, as all the wonders of the world, destroyed both by earthquakes and marauding armies. Do any of the snow globes they sold survive in the gift shop? They're all under the sea because the sea rose up. So the <laughs> gift shop is still there. You can still find, uh, find the globes. I mean, I like going. Uh, the funny thing is lighthouses are still popular vacation destinations today. And why do you think that is? I think because we don't have any other buildings that shape, honestly. Yeah, like you want to live, picturesque. you want to live in something tall and hexagonal and full of dreams or something. Heptagonal? I can't remember. 
Non-agonal? Oxonagonal. How many sides is your is your ideal lighthouse? How many sides does your lighthouse have? Uh, well, lighthouse design is, um, you know, became a kind of, uh, like, a, it, lighthouse design actually was sort of a testing ground for architecture uh, for a lot of its history. What do you mean? Because there were no other tall buildings? Or? Well, how to get, how to make a building that Because, yeah, no skyscrapers yet, right? And the only reason you would have a lighthouse is that it be in the remotest and most rough and tumble, I'm talking about later lighthouses, you know, you put it out on the promontory uh, as close to the rocky shoal you're trying to keep the boats away from. Sometimes on the little rocky shoal itself, right? Right, and that stuff, um, in fact, it it precipitated kind of the rediscovery of a kind of Roman lime concrete mix that actually worked underwater, a hydrological kind of, uh, that had been lost to time and was rediscovered in the yeah, what 17th, is this? 18th, 19th century. Oh, okay. Um, so recently enough that lighthouses were, you know, those wonderful lighthouses you see in England and France that are built out where the waves are actually crashing yes. into the lighthouse. The, the waves are the height of the lighthouse. And so in order to build them in those locations, you know, you had to have this quick setting concrete that actually could could set oh, right. underwater. Right, because otherwise you're going to have, they're going to get splashed every 30 seconds while you're trying to do it. Right. How are you going to huh. get that picture taken of you standing in the door with the giant wave about to wash over you that was on all college dorm room walls for a while there? I guess today also they have the appeal of quaintness. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, we're not making lighthouses anymore. And, right. but they're often kept up for tourism reasons or because there's government money. And so they all have little cute little whitewashed Cape Cod's next to them. and Yeah, they're super gorgeous and super, and they kind of communicate like... The fact that they're only found in scenic parts of the world f- tricks you into thinking they are also scenic. I think they are scenic. We used to go to the Hasita Head Lighthouse on the Oregon coast pretty much every summer oh, when sure. I was a kid, just north of Florence. And that's, like, that's the lighthouse you see on t-shirts sold all over the world, coffee table books everywhere. And that was just like, that was our local, that was our getaway that was like our 7-eleven yeah did you actually stay in the lighthouse building no although you can i think at the time you couldn't today they actually do rent out the old keeper's cabin to to one lucky tourist <laughs> there's a lighthouse out um on at the end of dungeon S spit if you feel like walking five or six miles out to that lighthouse right um and that one you can actually stay in, but it's it goes to volunteers who have to kind of man the lighthouse or, or person the lighthouse, staff the lighthouse over the summer. And local aficionados, I think, spend years on the waiting list hoping to have uh, you know, a week when they can summer on the Dungeness Spit Lighthouse. There's probably not a lot of duties anymore. No, the keeper of the lighthouse used to that used to be a very uh a, an important job and an, and a, and a real a busy job. Life and, and death. Now, uh, yeah, I don't know what they're doing. They're they're making fried eggs and they're writing their their novel. They're yeah. working on their they're working on their PhD. Is what they're doing. That's probably true. Marine biology. Uh, have you been to La Cor- uh, Coruña on the northern coast of Spain? I have not. Is that a famous lighthouse? There's a lighthouse there called the uh, the Tower of Hercules that was built in 20 BC that still stands. Whoa. Yeah, a Roman lighthouse. Uh, it's been fixed up and modded. Uh, la- later days, they put a little cupola on it, and they took the outside staircase off. But but it's still 
you know the the foundation and the and and a lot of the kind of multiply reconstructed but a lot of the the tower still is from its roman time and outlived hercules it did outlived by millennia. hercules and take that hercules outlived you know it outlived william shakespeare it outlived <laughs> It outlived literally anybody you could name right now. Yeah, literally anyone that unless was that's a pharaoh born before 1900 is. Um, and I assume any of these old lighthouses would have to have been uh, remodeled in a big way because at the time they were just places to put a big fire on top. That's right. For many many centuries, uh, for millennia even, a lighthouse was just a place that you built a large fire. And they were originally just kind of uh, built to to um, to denote the entrance to the harbor. There weren't lighthouses out in far flung places. With, Probably because of the expense of building them. Well, and also um, like global sea traffic wasn't really a thing. People went from mm. hither to thither. The only place you would congregate would be at a big port. Yeah, you're not gonna. You're not really in the Mediterranean. Very often, as a sea captain exploring new n- new ocean front, like uh, the Mediterranean was pretty well understood, pretty well mapped even in prehistoric times. And there's also, you know, how many how many big shoals are there in Libya? It's just sandy beach the whole way. Why do I associate lighthouses only with the Americas? Europe, Europe would have had to have them. Well, they did, and had centuries f- earlier, famous ones. But the Americas uh, were part of a lighthouse revolution and it was because sea traffic increased so dramatically right around that same time usa right so all of a sudden there there are ships traveling across the atlantic and pacific in profusion they're coming into unfamiliar harbors and the technology is is making lighthouses more and more effective Hmm. um if you're if you're just keeping a coal fire burning in a tower outside the port um, that's not a very efficient way of generating light, and it's a fairly weak light, right? Yeah. It doesn't penetrate clouds. Uh, it's just a thing at night. You say, look, yawn light, um, like steer toward it. And the the idea of a lighthouse on a rocky coast, uh, a lot of that is steer away from this light. Right. Uh, this is, this is, and, and that would You're be too close to the show. Right. And it would require that it would kind of be a stormy night where you could, there wasn't visibility. You didn't have the moon. You couldn't see the rocks. Um, so yeah, there are a lot of lighthouses in the Americas and, 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 and English channel. Um, it was, uh, this was kind of where the action was as technology in improved to make lighthouses more profligate. I guess I've um, profligate is probably that, not profligate, not profligate, but more to, to proliferate. Yes. Yeah. Is there an adjective for proliferate? Proliferated. Pro- more prolific. More, more pro-life. More. Well, that's not it. More commonplace. There we go. Yeah. Abundant. Right. Um. And so the the you know the technology of lighthouses like. You know, there's a there's a Roman lighthouse in Dover. Um, yeah, I guess I just never spent enough time on the coast of the English Channel to have seen them. Yeah, there's one outside of uh, the not far from um, 
I assume Cornwall has lighthouses. Yeah, that seems like the kind of thing they'd have. They do. And you often go to the coast and you're kind of looking out over the, oh, look out over the vista. And then you actually look down and the lighthouse is, is much closer to the beach because one of the things about, you know, you want to build a lighthouse on a cliff unless it's a super foggy, cloudy environment. And often, you know, they built lighthouses. I mean, in fact, the Point Reyes Lighthouse in California. Oh, that's funny. I was about to, I was about to mention it. It was originally built way up on the cliff, and then it turned out nobody could see the light. I was just going to mention that because we were there like a couple months ago, and I was like, "Oh, hey, there's a lighthouse," and I was disappointed to find. First of all, you have to like walk down all these stairs yeah. to the beach to see the lighthouse, and also the stairs are closed for COVID. So. Boo. Boo! Well, you can get you can get COVID from stairs. You knew that, didn't you? <laughs> I assume the lighthouse is there, but I can't prove it. And the lighthouse is built down the hill because it it was. There was one, a big, beautiful one up top, but it wasn't, you couldn't see the light most of the time. Most of the time you, that you needed the light, you couldn't see the light. Because why? Fog banks? Fog, yeah. yeah. And this is true uh, This is true in Cornwall, too. Like, the fog is is the problem. I do find the ones that are dis- the, just at ground level a little disappointing, because it looks like it looks like the rest of the lighthouse has been buried Planet of the Apes style, and we just have the little hat. That's true of the one here in West Seattle, the West Point Lighthouse. It's just a little, yeah. it just sticks, it's just, there are, there are houses around it that are it, taller. It's a toy. It is, yeah. Um, there's actually a formula of, um, uh, to optimize the height of a lighthouse or optimize the um, effectiveness the of the Yeah, the effectiveness of it. The formula is D equals 1.17 times the square root of H. Is 1.17 the lighthouse constant discovered by the ancients? It is. H in this case being the height of the structure. Okay. And D being the distance to the horizon in nautical miles. Mm. And so you put these, you you find the, um, the, the optimal... Be able to visibility. Yeah, the 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 optimal. Well, if height is one of the, if height is one of the, uh, the variables in this, I don't see how you're determining. This the is height you, from the formula. This is how you determine where to put the horizon. Yeah. <laughs> given, <laughs> given this equation, we now know where the horizon should be. One point one seven square root of h. Let's see what. See. Oh, come on. Maybe it's like how powerful the light needs to be. Is that what it's an equation for? It's an equation for how crusty the lighthouse keeper needs to be. Uh, well, let's see. It says here, how far is the horizon? Um, should I should I have beeped all of this? No, it's fun. Uh-huh. One thing about the horizon is it's surprisingly close. If you're an average height person and there's no mountains or anything. You can only see like two or three miles, and then the Earth curves away. So this is how you calculate the distance to the horizon in nautical miles. 1.17 times the square root of your height. Of my height. So this, the height of your eyes. I see. Well, that makes sense. This is the reverse, So, Well, given the height of the lighthouse, this shows how far a boat would be to be able to see the lighthouse above the curvature of the Earth. There you go. So it is the visibility of the lighthouse. There you go. Okay. Um, But, you know, but that is assuming that you don't have a... You don't have a big cloud in yes. your way. Or, uh, or Pete's Dragon, he hangs around lighthouses. He could block the light. Pete's Dragon also would be a problem in this, con- in this, in this situation. Of all the things that hang around lighthouses, he might be the biggest. Elliot. Elliot the... Oh, Elliot right, the dragon. right, of course. His Pete's name's dragon. not Pete. That would be confusing. Yeah, Pete's Dragon. Pete. <laughs> everyone's, <laughs> named, everyone's named Pete in, uh, in Passamaquoddy, Maine. 
confusingly. So at a certain point during the age of uh, the age of discovery, the age of enlightenment, things we love talking about here on Omnibus. Age of things. Um, discovery is three years, eight months, and twenty three days old. Wait, she just said what the age of discovery was. Yeah, but she had a specific number. It was like three years and and seven months old. Do so. you have a Denise named Discovery? Is, Disco- is she talking about the space shuttle discovery? It's, it's older than that. Is she talking about the TV channel? It's older than that. It's older than that. That's a mystery. We'll never know what, what who you know who thought was <laughs> yeah, right. just a few years old. What is Amazon trying to tell us? If you, if you had all of those that, that made no sense and you put them all together, it's like the theory that, that uh, schizophrenics are actually talking to someone over, you know, across the globe. Yes. They're just each talking to each other. All the schizophrenics are talking to each other? Yeah. That's the theory. Do you think maybe you're, are you involved in any kind of legal proceedings where discovery has lasted three years? Nope. 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 I have zero legal uh, discoveries. That's a good number right now. Um, in the in the United Kingdom, um, as far back as the 1500s, 500 years ago, Ken, uh, a corporation of lighthouse. Uh, managers, an an authority, uh, lighthouse middle managers, like an English authority was formed called the Trinity house, which was the, you know, the collective manager of all the lighthouses in England and Wales. And they sound like a secret society. They are. Like if you found out the Trinity house controlled the world, you'd believe it. Well, the original name of the Trinity house, and this is the thing I was looking for before, because it's so majestic. Uh, the Trinity, Trinity house was originally known as the master wardens and assistants of the guild fraternity or brotherhood of the most glorious and undivided Trinity and of St. Clement in the parish of Deptford Sound, or I'm sorry, Deptford Strand in the county of Kent. I was going to do my acronym thing, but I can't. I can't yeah, that's, you got lost along the way. I can the way, see why you? they called it Trinity House. Yeah, so it became Trinity House of Deptford Strand and then, you know, more colloquially among the super, super fans. As Trinity House. Are we supposed to know what a strand is? What is a strand? Is it's, it a strand? It's like, it's a British name for a strand. It's gotta be. If you're very aristocratic. It can't be that far off from a strand. Uh, it's uh, halfway, but it's a very strong strand. What is it? What is it really? Uh, yeah, a beach or a strand. Yeah. It's, it's uh, archaic. A strand. It's, it's in Henry the Fourth, Part Two. You know, in the UK, in the same way that they charge you for television service, if they ever see a flickering light in your living room after dark, mm-hmm. um, ships in the UK actually have to pay light dues. Uh, Except to, it's the other way around. That's where if the ship sees a flickering light, you owe the money, not if the right. government sees a flickering that's light. That's right. But they assume you saw the flickering light. Oh, I see. Even now that, no, even now that it's all GPS. <laughs> no one's looking. Uh, but the Trinity House, you know, it was this uh, this big organization, right? And and during this period of great innovation, uh, and in particular, like this is also an era where uh, the grinding of lenses became a a new science, right? Yeah, the, that's a pretty young science, right? Yeah, right. Like, Not a new one, but, you know, but increasingly more accurate ground lenses were, uh, were a new technology. And the, uh, you know, originally lenses were ground as magnifiers. and Galileo then, wanting a telescope or Leeuwenhoek wanting a microscope. Right. 
And they were also used as light uh, concentrators, so fire starters. And, and that's all Dennis the Menace trying to light ants on fire. Exactly. And and we've talked about ants before on the program. And, and uh, gen- I guess generally we have a no mercy policy for sugar ants at least. Yeah, we just, we just squished them. Big ants. We apologize to our ant-descended uh, yeah. uh, antecedents, I guess I would but, say. Oof. But you know, the big ants that will come to rule the world, they're just as annoyed by sugar ants in their honey as anybody else, right? Yeah, I would think so. If they're our size, mm-hmm. they don't think of, like, it would be like if I, I don't think of tiny prehistoric mammals as my people. Right. So they would not think of tiny prehistoric ants. They'd be like, yeah, I know, those guys are annoying. Squish well, them. Yeah, mice, you know, are much more closely related to us than ants. But we're not like, my friend. I mean, some people are. Goths. I'm not squishing them. Goths have white mice. I actually have mousetraps out because we have some, <gasps> we have some mice out back. And mm-hmm. uh, the ants keep eating the bait. The sugar ants are stopping me from killing the mice. They're teaming up against me. This is infuriating. I'm mad on your behalf. Um, well, so so there was work. There there was interest in and work done um, both to uh, figure out a way to magnify the light from these lighthouses so that it had a reach beyond... Just what you, you know, a a burning pyre. And this is also a time when lamps and lamp technology is also, you know, it's innovation is happening in, in, in the way lamps are built to uh, reflect light, the way wicks are going from just oil soaked string to, you know, increasingly woven wicks woven to burn more efficiently. Is that true? We had a wick gap. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of, of, uh. Uh, of innovation in the construction of wicks. Cause wicks, you know, a wick that burns inefficiently, you always are trimming it and changing it. And it's one of the main things you do to a wick is to trim it. Yeah. Mess around with a wick. And if you can get a wick to burn a lot hotter, um, you know, you're going to burn it less quickly and it's going to be, you know, a much more efficient light. The lighthouse keeper can be downstairs eating chowder and Possibly murdering his uh, his uh, summer apprentice. There you go. Or turning into a silky, or his daughter will turn into a silky and disappear into the ocean. Now the lens can't actually make the light bright. I can't. It can't increase the luminescence of the light source, but it can what focus it in a better way. Focus it is exactly right. I mean, you're not trying to reach everyone. You don't want to disperse it. Yeah, you don't want light going into the town. If it's and especially if it's rotating, you you want a, a pointed beam. Right, and ro- so rotation is one of the um, uh, one of the innovations at this time. Oh yeah, they didn't used to rotate. They didn't rotate, and it would have had to be just some guy with a crank, some crank with a crank. Yeah, or uh, you know, a donkey that is up on suspended on a platform. That's cruelty you know, 50 to Fifty feet high, um, right? Or just uh, you've got you've got like a, like a bunch of cats in one of those. Uh, like like a Rube Goldberg, yeah, cat uh, runner things where they're <laughs> running in a circle chasing a chasing a mouse or a sugar ant. So all of this is kind of oh, it's this exciting time. All this stuff is happening at at once. What a big time to be a lighthouse scientist! It really was. Uh, but lens development was not really connected to lighthouses in the beginning. I mean, people were advancing lens technology, kind of, kind of not thinking first about oh it wasn't done for maritime use not not at first it was um the uh you know uh, the recognition that to focus uh 
more light into a into a bigger beam um required larger and larger lenses and made of glass uh once you started to get a lens that was really big enough to um to make an effective uh focusing of a of a beam at a lighthouse level mm-hmm. um this glass would be an enormous super heavy super hard to build Plus you keep dropping them. It's like trying to put a contact lens on, except you keep dropping the thing off the top of the lighthouse. Yeah. And what are you, how anybody see my lens? How are you going to rotate this big boy? I mean, maybe this is a dumb, a question so dumb that you will not know the answer, but like, how are they even making these ginormous pieces of glass in the, like say 18th century? Like is somebody blowing them? Well, this was, this was super hard to do. Um, and, uh, and, and as a result, like the largest glass was kind of, I mean, there was a there was an upper limit to what the technology allowed, huh. um, and so uh, a, a a kind of one of these po- polymathic scientists um, that we that we talk about so often here on Omnibus. There used to be a lot of them. They would they would do it all. They'd be discovering new uh, herbs in their backyard, and they'd discover a nebula. That's right, and launching things into the sky. Um, but a lot, you know, this, this was an exciting time to be French too, because there had not yet been a revolution and you could be a, you could be a Ponce, uh, and a scientist, but lace sleeves, a Frenchman by the name of, uh, uh, what I guess we call him Count Buffon, but he was really Georges-Luc Leclerc, the Comte de Buffon. <laughs> that's a, that's an <laughs> awful name for a Count. The Comte de Buffon. Uh, he was like a, a a Commedia dell'arte character. He was one of these Commedia dell'arte characters. Uh, he was a mathematician. He was a naturalist and he started working on a lens that had, that was made out of, um, that was serrated. It was made out of individual, uh, refracting lenses combined to make a single kind of, uh, apparatus. Like a, they're kind of stacked. They're stacked, right? And and um and when you and they're concentric. So around the outside of a of a center lens, there were these kind of um, ribbed for her pleasure. Ribbed for her pleasure all the way out. And what they did, each one of those uh, of those refracting surfaces would focus light in in parallel with the with the round lens in the center or, and, and, and also uh, a kind of um, oval lenses also were effective at, at focusing light. They weren't exact a, circles, but they, they were, were directional. An ellipse would work. And each one, as you go outward, each one focuses the light into the, into the next one somehow. Is that kind of what's happening? No, not into the next one. They, they, uh, they focus the light kind of individually parallel to the other. Oh, each one is shooting. Shoot, different shoot. light, different photons, but uh, at the same place. Right in a <laughs> in a in a parallel direction, and this this also works in reverse as a light collector or as a as a uh, yeah light collector. Um, you can take all of these different lenses, and it will focus light down into a single point, or in, it, you know you can focus it right, um, not to a single point, but you can actually use it as a magnifier, yeah, or as a as a, um, you know, a focuser. You'd have to turn it around. You turn it around. And that was actually kind of how it was, how, how, uh, Comte de Buffon 
originally was working on this idea. He he recognized that you could get the power of a much larger lens by building this um, this sort of serrated lens, and that uh, work was also kind of expanded upon. And this was he was doing this work in the 1740s and 50s. And in the 1780s, an Englishman by the name of Thomas Rogers, who was working at the Trinity House of Deptford Strand. Right. Strand guy. Strand. Strand. Strand man. Uh, he was also kind of experimenting with these uh, these lenses as a kind of, you know, potentially like uh, s- something that could that could benefit lighthouses, but never never really put it into... That's what those guys were always wondering. Sure. I've seen yeah. what's in the papers today, but... Yeah. Is it good for the lighthouse That's keepers? Right. Is that good for lighthouses? Nope. Rejected. How Moving do I, on. How do we use this in lighthouses, though? But uh, it was no less a personage than Napoleon Bonaparte. Who we love. Friend of the pod. That's right. My my uh, my family's good friend, Bonaparte, who, uh, who directed the French, the Ministry of... Um, of lighthouse keepers and uh, masters of they had their the own, guild fraternity. They had of, their own Deptford Strand, whatever yeah, it was what, called. What would it have been called? It was the, uh, oh, it was something in French. Department of Coastal Luminescence. Yeah. Ministry of... Department uh, de Luminescence <laughs> de Mer. There we go. And, uh, and there was a, you know, a, a kind of, um, you know, a deputy there by the name of Augustine Jean Frenet. Okay. Uh, Fresnel. Silent S. Fresnel. Augustin Jean Fresnel. And he independently conceived of this, um, this like refracting, uh, series of concentric grooves. He's not aware of Lecomte de Buffon's work. No, did not, did not appear to build on any prior work, but kind of came to this as in his own, um, Which you would do. There's only so many shapes. If, yeah. you're, if you're working with lenses, you might happen on a nice, efficient one. And you're thinking, you know, how do I, how do I, because lenses were, or I'm sorry, lighthouses had long used reflective surfaces. Right. So that any light b- bouncing the wrong direction comes back out at the boats. Right. But, um, but to concentrate that light and, you know, and what, what a, uh, what rotating it does, of course, is it's not only that you are able then to um, to draw your light across a much broader surface of the ocean. Show a broader geographic range of boats. But to someone on the ship, that appears to be a flashing light. Ah. Right? As the beam goes around, you see foof, foof, foof. And so you could, by controlling the rate of flashes you could actually kind of communicate it's a message where, you know, which lighthouse you're looking at. Um, oh yeah. And that's true. Even to, to this day on the, on the Washington and Oregon coast, right? right? Like they all have different patterns so that, I mean, in some weird world where you don't know which part of the coast you're looking at, it's a marker. Right. It's probably obsolete, but they still do it. Yeah. Well, I, I doubt, I mean, if you think about how, how long you would have had to have been at sea and how bad your navigation would have to be to see a light and so be there's like, a lighthouse, but where are we? <laughs> oh, it's Cape Hatteras. Like, of course. Um, so Fresnel uh, developed this, uh, this lens and it was originally not cut, 
but actual each component was its own it was it was independently um cut hmm. from the glass and then combined to make these giant lenses uh later on they they started using you know pouring glass into molds that were that would mimic the serrated right. edge i see um but uh these lenses were they came in multiple sizes and they were kind of given orders of size that we still think of them today as as being six different sizes of four different orders at, at, because it was understood I mean you needed to it needed marketing had small medium large extra large sure. to double XL and so we still use the industry like numbering from the 18th century yeah. manufacturer. The first order of Fresnel lens is um, the lens is over six feet wide. And these are, these still exist. And I think you have seen one, if I may be so bold. Prove uh, it. The, uh, the Makapu'u lighthouse at the foot of Diamond Head ah. in, on Oahu has the largest Fresnel lens in the United States. Interesting. And uh, the, a larger lens, I guess, just what can focus light further, further. It's brighter, farther, brighter, farther, as we say. And uh, that's a, that's a, a great album by a wonderful <laughs> British songwriter, but it's not the largest in the world, not the large, largest in the world, but the largest in the United States and, uh, and the lens, uh, precipitate ownership of the lens pre precipitated the construction of the lighthouse. Uh, <laughs> well, we got this lens. Yeah, they were like, well, what I do we do with it? We could hang it in a hotel lobby like a Chihuly or, oh, it may be the largest in the world, actually. Is that right? I think it might be. A very quick Google search. I can't find anything bigger than the Makapu'u one. Well, so I should say. The lens is 12 feet tall. The world's largest lighthouse lens okay. is in Makapu'u. But there are more fresnel lenses than just lighthouses where else would you need one well that's what's so astonishing about the technology of the um of the fresnel lens so you know lighthouses increasingly uh just to wrap up the lighthouse story lighthouses increasingly uh became more and more efficient the 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 oil went from whale oil to kerosene, the Fresnel lenses became uh, mechanically automated. And once they get electrified, and then they you became electric. That's when you don't even need anybody refilling the oil can. That's right. Um, the different sizes of, of lighthouse Fresnel lenses meant that you could put a giant lighthouse on the, on the promontory, but then you could have those little lighthouses that you see out in shipping channels. Yeah. You know, the little ones that when you're, when you're on your way into Hudson Bay or whatever, you've got these little rocks that have a little, and they would have the smaller ones meant to communicate, um, meant to communicate different things to ships. And now you can put them places they cannot be staffed like these little tiny islands. Right. And, and electrification, uh, enabled that at once lighthouses were electrified. Um, and a lot of, uh, a lot of like early solar technology was employed. The Daylin, the Daylin light was, uh, was one that had a solar sensor that would only turn the light on at night. See, a good lighthouse keeper would already know that. Yeah, right. 
you know, I'm not going to turn the lighthouse on because it's daytime. It's day. The sun's up. Clear day. Co- uh, clear sc- clear seas. But now you can replace that guy with a little solar Little solar panel. system. That's mm-hmm. right. Um, and then increasingly it was uh, lighthouses of this sort were used as, um, as a way, as a kind of directional wayfinder. Uh, there would be two little lighthouses placed in uh, in such an arrangement that when the two lights were, uh, when one light was directly above another, that's how you knew as a ship captain that that was the oh, route. Oh, I see. You're line. They're at different distances, like in parallax. You're lining them up. That's right. Oh, that's I never. I had no idea. And that's still true. Fresnel lenses are used in this way uh, at airports. Um, if you're if you're coming in for a landing. At any airport, there are two sets of lights, red and white lights. Right. Uh, so the, the, the way the, the red and white lights work, uh, there are two sets. And if you are coming in too high, you're going to see that both sets of lights are white. And if you're coming in too low, both sets of white, the, both sets of lights are red. And if you're right on the right... But then Goldilocks did a third approach. That's right. The third approach, if you're right on the correct glide slope, you've got red lights on the top and white lights on the bottom. Hmm. Um, but they're also used on aircraft carriers kind of for this same... You know, aircraft carriers, you're trying to line up in kind of multiple axes. Yeah, it's a much and it's a much shorter... Uh, Less room for error, I guess. Right. And, the you know, the deck is often going up and down, and so they use Fresnel lights in a similar way to, uh, to kind of guide airplanes in. So uh, after the age of electrification, you, we started to see less and less reason for lighthouse keepers. Um, they started to get phased out. All these systems got automated. The, the lighthouse could just do its thing. They were replaced by robot lighthouse yeah. keepers. That would, yeah, that's right. That would kind of clank Hello. up. Hello. Welcome to the... I am smoking my pipe. Lighthouse. My daughter is a silky. And then um, and then more and more kind of lighthouses were just shut down, other than the ones that that uh, that have been preserved as like cutesy pipes. Largely things. for tourist reasons, yeah. But there were lighthouses put out, you know, uh, now all you need to do is kind of build a little steel tower and put a light on top of it. And you do see those. I see those, and yeah. it's sad. Yeah, the little thing spins, and you're like, oh, if I was on a boat, that would mean something to me. It's functional. In, in, uh, in the Soviet Union, during the Cold War, a lot of the, you know, the north, the northern coast of the Soviet Union, this kind of ice. Arctic Ocean. Arctic, I mean, an, an enormous expanse of land up there. They put a bunch of lighthouses along that northern coast that were actually powered by radioisotopes. Wow, nuclear uh, lighthouse. Yeah, they had these, these thermoelectric nuclear uh, lighthouses that... It shoots a light at your boat, but it also leaves your shadow on the wall of the boat cabin behind you. <laughs> uh, those were more or less maintained or at least identified until the dissolution of the Soviet Union when uh, whatever their version of the master and commander brotherhood of lighthouse keepers went away. And a lot of those lighthouses were lost, um, lost track of. Like including the, including the fissionable materials? And so they're out there decaying, and there are uh, times when people are, you know, out walking along some rocky strewn 
distant expanse and finding these sort of decaying old broken ass lighthouses and they're climbing on them and that they're just like fully radioactive uh, uh old soviet you don't want to get lighthouses yeah you don't want to get leukemia 20 years later just because you were goofing around on urban rubble we uh we have most lighthouses now actually are so or they can be solar powered uh, they just sit all day because they only work at night, right? They're, I mean, they're just like those garden lights. I mean, that's what works if you're sailing during the day. You've got, you've got the ultimate solar-powered lighthouse, Mr. Sun. Hello. So why not use the sun? But Fresnel lenses went on to be, um, to be used kind of quite widely um, in the – once you could make them out of plastic – uh, and you could kind of print. Oh, is that right? Yeah. They're not even glass anymore? No, you could print, you can print a uh, Fresnel lens on a, basically a flat piece of paper um, or, you know, so that they're almost flat. And, um, you know, one of the things that we realized about solar light is that for all intents and purposes, solar light hits the earth completely in parallel with itself. It's not coming at you right you know the sun isn't because we're so far away yeah so it's just it's all at the same angle it's parallel and so a fresnel um lens can can focus it because it's you know it's built to collect what they call um you've got you've got collection and then you've got collimation which is the which is the the opposite of collection diffusion diffusion i guess got it um but they're used Sort of in all kinds of applications now. Um, like, a, do you do you use them in solar panels, for example, to collect sunlight? Or so increasingly, yes, we're generating power uh, by concentrating solar rays. There's a there's a machine that probably should be in the omnibus, the Stirling engine, which is uh, like a heat engine, and they use uh, Fresnel lenses as part of the kind of the dishes the dishes that that focus the sun's rays to create, it's basically steam. Yeah. Um, although wait, it's not steam. It's a, it's like a, it's like a cold sink. Wait. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it's one of the solar engines that doesn't use steam. It's, um, it uses air or some other gas. You're heating that instead of water vapor. That's interesting. Right. Um, and so, and, but Fresnel lenses are, were used, I mean, have you ever seen those like miniature televisions of, of ancient times that had a, a right. screen in front of it? I've seen them in Terry Gilliam movies. Yeah, that's right. It's in Brazil. Oh, and overhead projectors, right? Overhead projectors. Anytime. And the, the thing is, they're not the best for super precision focusing, but like Nikon has a, a, attempted to make telephoto lenses you know, which are enormous, uh, to shrink them down using Fresnel lenses. It's basically, it's basically the principle of those little bicycle reflectors. Do they ever have, those are sometimes ridged, right? Could, right. The, could those be Fresnel? Lenses? The more you, the more you recognize the, uh, the technology, I think the more often you'll see them now. They, um, you know, the way that they, that you can make them with a, with a super high groove density, which is which produces a kind of higher quality uh, image, or a low groove density kind of has greater efficiency in terms of of focusing light. Also, if you're a, if you're a DJ, you should always pick songs with a higher groove density, for sure. 
the wedding's going to be way better. So uh, getting back to the largest Fresnel lens, which for many years was the lighthouse on Oahu, um, in 2018, a 10 by 12 foot Fresnel lens was built out of 3D printed blocks and located. <laughs> they're, they're so simple, you can just 3D print them? Yeah. And located in Times Square. So it's basically. What's it for? Well, it was like uh, Valentine's Day. It's like, it's, it was called the Window to the Heart. And it's just. It's a, just a tourist destination? Yeah, it's just a proof of concept. Um, and, and, and so you look through it and it kind of uh, bends the light of the view of Times Square. And you can look through the wind, uh, the window that's there at the center, and you know, and see the see the whole of Times Square reflected to your center point. Or you could bring your own light and set it up behind it and just blow up the Jersey Boys billboard. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, the best part of this story, or rather, our denouement, is that in Canada. They, um, in Canada, you have to be bilingual. This is the denouement slash ending. The ending or the, the, you know, the, the transition into the ending, uh, in Canada at a certain point as lighthouses were being de-staffed around the world, Canada said enough. No, no, je refuse. And they, uh, they stopped the de-staffing of lighthouses and said, we, we will hire all the fired lighthouse keepers from the rest of the world. Bring us your poor, your tired. That's right. They, your they, selkie fathering lighthouse captains. At this point, as this episode is being recorded, now futurelings may be living in a different world. Hopefully futurelings all will be living in lighthouses or at the foot of lighthouses as they crawl back out of the sea, as they evolve limbs as they re-evolve limbs. The lighthouse will be like, evolve here. Uh, there are 50 staffed lighthouses in Canada. You know, Canada being a place where you need some lighthouses, if you know what I'm saying. Canada's having a lighthouse renaissance? There are 27 staffed lighthouses in British Columbia alone. Is this basically a jobs program, or yeah. is there some reason to have <laughs> yeah. them? I think, it, I think it is. I think it's just a, it's a thing for, you know, all the pipe smokers that don't have anywhere else to go. Like Vancouver Island and the Inside Passage up the coast of British Columbia. Lighthouses, as far as the eye can see, literally from you look as far as you can see, and according to D equals 1.17 times the square root of H, uh, there will be a lighthouse right there. In Oregon, you can't pump your gas, and in British Columbia, you can't electrify your lighthouse. And that concludes the Fresnel Lens, entry 501.1C1312, certificate number 52246, in the omnibus. Uh, Futurelings, before, in your time, perhaps all data is again transmitted via uh, flashing coastal lights. Mm. Uh, in our time, we had a vast... Uh, information cyber highway surrounding the earth Uh, and at first it was just cute and had uh, blogs and chat rooms Um, but then it turned into uh, just a free-floating virtual uh, mental illness that um, that pretty much poisoned all of civilization and that was where we came in we were at Omnibus Project 
uh, online. I'm at Ken Jennings. You can find John on at patreon.com slash John Roderick. Uh, you could uh, email us, send us digital communication at the omnibus project at gmail.com or physical items. Send us your grandpa's Fresnel lenses that he used to oh, wouldn't that be nice? wear in his frames because he was like a, a jeweler from a Toy Story movie or a, you know, a Terry Gilliam villain or something, Terry Gilliam bureaucrat. You know, the sixth order of Fresnel lenses are only 17 inches across. So, you know, a Fresnel lens that you could have, you might not wear it around your neck Flava Flav style. But you could. But you could. I don't know where where's the light coming from. Are you are you inside Flava's heart? He's he's like E. T. <laughs> Let it shine wherever you go, Flav. Phone home, but don't phone nine one one. It's a joke. Uh, you uh, can also mail us physical items at P.O. Box five five seven four four, Shoreline, Washington nine eight one five five. Please, in any coronal period, um, support Omnibus at patreon.com slash Omnibus Project. That's the engine that. Um, makes the show worth doing because it makes it profitable, and those two things are synonymous here in the last stages of global capitalism. You could also uh, find uh, shirts and whatnot at omnibusproject.com slash store. You could find uh, socialization by looking for the futurelings uh, on their various gathering places. And you could you could probably find the meaning of life just by listening to the show, but, um, but we've hidden it very cleverly. So uh, you're going to have to re-listen to several episodes if you want to ferret out that secret. You know, one of the perks available to our Patreon subscribers at a certain level. A very affordable level, I I would say. I always forget what the tiers are called. Uh, Is it sentient quaking aspen level? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I I wouldn't know. Mm. I'm looking right now, but I have to log out as me to see what you would see. Mm-hmm. It's really kind of the paradox of, of uh, consciousness. You have to log out to see what I would see. Washing bear level. If you give it the washing bear level, one of the perks is you actually get to uh, choose a topic for a forthcoming omnibus entry. I love this. Uh, I love this option. People really feel invested in the topics. People, people send in lengthy, uh, lengthy lists of options with, um, you know, anecdotes they hope will be told. In the case of, in fact, today's show about the Fresnel lens, that was requested by Jeff Nye, who is in his second year of uh, support, and I think last year suggested the German Telegrams show. I, I Jeff uh, Nye and I have a real simpatico because his suggestions usually uh, end up being ones I, I base a show around. Thank you, uh, Jeff Nye, the washing bear guy. Usually from our vantage point in your distant past, in the era where lighthouses are transitioning, right? We're, they're not gone. We're, we're living in a moment that seems real to us. We're on a lighthouse cusp. Right, but, if, but, you know, 200 years from now, we're going to seem like we were, we, it was a very active time. It was a very happening time. Especially in Canada. Yeah. Um, but we have no idea whether a hundred years from now our civilization our civilization will survive. But we hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. If the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the omnibus.